The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the last of the camp questions series today, and this one at the quarterback position, where there are probably fewer questions than at other positions. Joining me today to talk about that is our good friend from Ravens Situation Room, Jordan Coe. How you doing, Jordan? Ken, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Life is good. Talking to Lamar Jackson, talking to you about football this afternoon. Looking forward to it. Uh, so uh, camp has just begun, and, and Lamar is there, which is, for starters, uh, good news, uh, given the contract situation. A little bit of a distraction this offseason. Uh, I, I personally don't see it affecting his play. Where are you on that? 
Yeah, you know, some of this is media made, right? You know, they, they are. And, you know, I think that you have to start any conversation about the Ravens quarterback room and uh, like anything that's being talked about is the media wanting to drive this narrative or drive the lightning rod right through kind of Lamar Jackson because it is it elicits everybody on all sides, right? And so both sides come roaring out of the gate. And as soon as they do that, um, you know, you get all this discussion, you know, right up front. And so, you know, the contract stuff, I think, has gotten more amplified than it would need to otherwise. I think the Ravens are going to give Lamar whatever it is that he wants at the end of the day. Lamar has to decide exactly what that looks like. I think they probably offered him a couple different structures, a couple different things, and he's mulling it over, and he'll decide when he decides, and he's already decided it's going to be on his own terms. So uh, I don't think there's a whole lot more to the story than that. Yeah, and and I, I you know, like most um, Ravens fans, you get nervous. I tend to be a little bit of a worry ward. I want this decided uh, sooner rather than later. But Lamar is, you know, taking risk and making money at the same time. If things work out for him, you know, through this year, I think he'll he uh, he will earn more on the contract, and and he's also taking a risk, of course, if anything goes wrong. Um, but the, but in terms of the media treatment of it, and we've seen some things the last couple of days from the anonymous defensive coordinator in the NFL, uh, and you know, it is entirely clickbait it seems to me just people trying to get a conversation started a lot of engagement in their tweets and it, it doesn't I, I, yeah it's clickbait in its truest form in the sense that like as soon as anybody says anything it is just like off to this like unbelievable like roaring start from from just the get-go so you know it, it's it's hard for me to believe that people still kind of fall into this trap and the ravens fans especially those of us that are kind of on the lamar loyalist side haven't just let it go and just said, ah, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not going to let that kind of thing bother us. But you know what? It definitely, bo- I don't tweet about it anymore because I do think it's clickbait, mm-hmm. but it does bother me every time I see it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very foolish. And whoever this guy is, if, if it's a real, if it's, first of all, it's a real defensive coordinator. You got to be very concerned about this kind of a statement getting out about who actually said it. If, if the, um, the journalist in question, and I'm you know, air quoting that term here, uh, if, if he is uh, caught in the act, I would think this would really affect his professional credibility for the long run. Uh, that, that, you know, there is really no one. And, and he did this to, you know, drum up some interest in this. It's not the kind of thing you get away with. So uh, hopefully, hopefully anyway, they, uh, uh, they'll put it behind them soon enough. The players all seem to have the right attitude about it. If it creates a little bit of chip on Lamar's shoulder, I think it's actually a good thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see a downside to this ridiculousness. And, and frankly, the only thing that's bothered me the, la- the last few years is, you know, trying to condense Lamar's 37 and 12 regular season record and negate it with a four game sample from the postseason, which, of course, is better teams to start with. But, you, but, you know, it's a four game sample is also a problem. Uh, I, that's the real issue I have with what's happened. Yeah, and and realistically, you know, if you think about that playoff set, you know, the 2018 game just like in so many ways doesn't count, right? You know, Lamar mm-hmm. wasn't even a full season in. They had just played the Chargers like shortly before that. Like there there was there were a lot of really unique things about that situation. So it's really a three-game subset with a crazy weather game mixed in all of there that Lamar missed the end of to begin with. Yeah, I mean, even the Titans game had some adverse win situations that caused that first interception. It caused the domino of effects that, that you know, gave us one of the most disappointing losses in Ravens history. So I'm not saying it, it wasn't a loss that they should have avoided. But if you want to look at that 2018 Chargers pair of games, they were both effectively playoff games for the Baltimore Ravens. 
I mean, so, so was the last game of the season. And, and Lamar won those to, to, to get the Ravens in. Oh, those don't count as playoff games. Well, why not? They were, they were, they were one, though, against playoff caliber, uh, a playoff caliber team in, in the Chargers that won on the road on that crap short week situation where, you know, the Ravens had to go across the country to, to, to play an important game that was moved to a Saturday. And then um, they did not get the same kind of consideration going the other direction for that uh, uh, the playoff game, which had to be played on a Sunday. Uh, just so much wrong with the, with, the, with the pair of games. But to think that, that somehow the Chargers, who actually still had a chance at their division title at the time the Ravens went in there and kicked their ass pretty good, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just silly. And, and I thought we saw good things from Lamar. We saw some positive things in terms of comeback that have not really been needed too much in his career. But, uh, you know, frankly, I, I, the, the distinction of what's a playoff game and, and what's not a playoff game is already a little, a little foggy for me. Yeah, it, it's, the whole thing is just comical to me because it took Peyton Manning how long before he had any success in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Like, it, this, this whole... Like you have to have wins in the playoffs to be a great quarterback thing is just it's just wild. It's just wild. Mm-hmm. Where, where is your mark? Because that's that's something I hear a lot of people talking about. Uh, we got to do everything. We got to throw everything away at the trade deadline. I don't care what you trade away for the future. Write a blank check for for uh, for this right now, or, or put it on the credit card is the usual term that they use in terms of free agent signings. Um, wh- why? What? What is your feeling about that in terms of win now strategies? And I don't want to get too far off Lamar Jackson now, but but uh, where do you stand on that? I, I can even put it in a Lamar Jackson context to answer you, Kent, which is that I don't think that the Ravens should go out and sign any of these major wide receivers that everybody, major, air quotes, major wide receivers that everybody thinks <laughs> that they need to do and spend all this money on, right? Um, because I think it's going to be wait, like to have to have put four void years on a Julio Jones deal to have him be the third wide receiver and what this team will use that when they don't need a wide receiver is crazy to me. Um, and I think that the Ravens approach of kind of like a well-balanced in it every year zigging when everyone else is zagging. So like to, it's to their strategy advantage to be able to have four tight ends instead of four major wide receivers, right? Like it, think about how much less that that's going to cost them that Mark Andrews is still for whatever reason, not regarded as the top tight end in the league, which he is very close to, if not is the top t- tight end in the league. And then you see these ESPN rankings that come out that say Darren Waller is ahead of Mark Andrews. It's like, like, like I can't even I can't even fathom where some of these things come from. But I would much rather be paying four really good tight ends and using this system and using Lamar's legs and his one of his best assets to its maximum value than overspending to have a wide receiver to get fans to calm the heck down. Um, but I think that the talent in the room is enough. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I agree too. The other thing is that. There is so much luck involved in in going through and winning the Super Bowl, and and the Ravens won the Super Bowl with two very distinctly different teams. The two thousand Super Bowl, uh, the two thousand Super Bowl was won by a very dominant team. That team could beat anybody on any day. There's only one other team in the entire NFL that could stand on the field with them. Uh, they went down to Tennessee and gave even them a a, a good run for their money on that. And we, we Oakland was thought to be a team that could stand on the field. We found out very quickly that was not the case. They, they you know, showed no ability to move the ball. It didn't matter who was at quarterback. Uh, uh, Gannon wasn't playing well before he got knocked out of that game. Uh, it, it, that team 
could have could have gone up against any set of playoff uh, you know opponents and 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 certainly been uh, successful I think and still it's not 100% guaranteed but but they, it, it, it it took a little bit of luck in that Tennessee game to get through that um, if you if you look at the 2012 team that's a completely a lottery ticket team you know a team that won by virtue of uh, getting into the playoffs and 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 you know they they've been in the playoffs five consecutive years uh, my take on that is that they had more than one expected Super Bowl out of that five-year group. But if I had to pick the team that would do it, they would have been the least likely of the five. They were the worst of the five teams um, that they fielded in 2012. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. It was the it was the team that lost the what the double 14-point comeback games to Tom Brady. Um, the 2014 team. Yeah, the 2014 team was the one that 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 was the one that got away, at least to me. Yeah. I thought that was the best iteration of that those those teams. Um, okay, well, I, I was really talking 08 to 12. My, my, even my, my, the, that, two right. te- yeah, the two teams I love, the first five hardball years were the 08 and 09 teams because they had the most dominant offensive lines in Ravens history. So I, I, I you know, I have a, a special fondness for them, as great defensively as the Ravens have been in 08, but uh, but with a great offensive line and. You know, rookie Flacco was not that great, but but they did have Ray Rice and and McGahee and a nice uh, and McLean being a nice three-headed monster in the backfield. So there's even some similarities really to the '19 Ravens in terms of of what those teams could do with a, a slightly better defense and obviously not as good an offense on the other side. But I would let's always, get back to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I would always just rather be in the playoffs than be. I would rather be in the playoffs than a Super Bowl contender one out of every six years or whatever number you want to put on that. We are we are in the same exact spot, my friend, and I think uh, I, I think people understand our position. I think that I, I really want to dig deeper with people who who want to always uh, buy to win now, and it's really a shame that the Rams got it done because now we got to hear it. We got to hear it three times as often, not three times, twenty times as often this off season of of people talking about how look at the Rams. They traded every number one pick they ever had, and they you know did this and they did that. And you go back, and there actually is another model that was similar: the George Allen Redskin teams of the early seventies. They traded every draft pick they had. You know, they they, they never they never saw a draft pick they didn't want to trade, and and they uh, and they were very successful. Uh, they did not end up winning the Super Bowl, but they made it made it the Super Bowl and lost to the undefeated Dolphins. All right, let's move back to Lamar Jackson here because we've we've really got to talk a little bit of Lamar. Uh, attitude uh, coming into camp, uh, you know, obviously seems to be very good in terms of of uh, uh, his athleticism. Also, very good coming into camp. Uh, um, what do you you know? Would you ever expect Lamar to be in the wrong position, mentally at least, to face the game? No, you know, that that's an interesting question. I'll tackle the athleticism part first, because I think that I, that's a telling piece of where Lamar is mentally, right? Which is that he came into this season and really walked up muscle from a muscle perspective and, and was intense. It's very clear to me that he was intent on getting stronger, that he wants to do like, and that screams to me that he wants to do more in the running game, that he thinks that there's a little bit more to be had there this year. And that if he maximized what he was doing with his body that there were things that he could do on the field as a result of that that were going to allow him to be successful right so how does that mean he's being prepared mentally even though we're talking about the physical it means that he's looking ahead right it means that he went back and he looked at film i think that when you look at what he did in 2021 in the running game the big runs weren't there in the same way right like there were things that weren't there from 2020 to 2021 so even leaving out 2019 
there weren't things that were there in 2021 that there were, that were there in 2020. And he wants to figure out what he needs to do to bring those back. He did a ton of work, it, it appears, with his quarterback coaches. Um, like his throwing mechanism looks tighter. The ball and the spiral in some of these video clips that we've seen that looks really tight and looks really good in terms of form. And so, well, you know, it's all practice, right? Like a little Allen Iverson is just mm -hmm. practice. We don't know if that's going to translate to the field. But if he can translate those mechanics to the field, those are all going to be huge wins for this team. And those are all parts of Lamar's preparation into coming into camp. Yeah, it's it's great to certainly have a settled situation there. And, and you know, the only th there's attempts to unsettle this with the contract, with the 12 MVPs is not enough for us to think positively about him. There's, 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 there's talk about unsettling it, but it's really just trying to pick at anything with a, with what is a extremely settled position, you know, and, and frankly, in most ways, an extremely settled team. I mean, if you want to pick things that are bothersome about the first, you know, couple of days of camp here, it's the fact that uh, Ben Cleveland apparently is still in the NFI and that it probably, although I have not heard officially, that that's related to not passing the conditioning test. And uh, had one comeback from a conditioning test today. Michael Pierce is on the field. So even if he's a little bit out of shape and, and that can be the case with Michael Pierce, uh, he passed the conditioning test. So fantastic. Uh, you know, that would have been one of the that was one of the big hurdles that I was really looking for this year. I, I just the the only other disappointing piece of news so far is that Charlie Kolar has that sports hernia. And I'm I, I have a hard time in like in the context of all of what's going on with a lot of teams thinking that that, relatively speaking, is going to be the straw that destroys the Baltimore Ravens uh, here at this point. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you, and it's something that he's played through before. I'm sure the Ravens had that on their radar when they drafted him and knew that it was probably an issue or, um, even potentially before that. So, you know, I'm in agreement with you. I, I'm super curious if the Ravens changed their conditioning test. There's been, like, a more chatter um, from players about how stupid conditioning tests are and how they don't make any sense to max out your players right at the front end of camp um, when they're not in their best of shape and then grind them through camp. We've already read about how the Ravens have wound down a lot of how they're approaching camp. They did a whole session on how they're approaching camp differently and, like, coming into it differently. Sessions have been shorter, like, you know, all of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the conditioning test today is not the same, or this year is the same conditioning test it's always been, too. That's that's interesting. I, I think you're probably right about that. The the, the change to the afternoon practices is a is a uh, significant one in terms of of maybe it's certainly not a comfortable time of day to to uh, to be there, but it's a it's a. Uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a different time of day, and it's done for the athletes. That that you know, I, I read some other things that came up as I was going through this about children going to school at various times in Baltimore City. So they have a lack of bus drivers, and so they're having to rearrange schedules. So some kids get it at seven thirty, and other kids get it at eight thirty, and then you leave time, school at different times, of course, because of that, and and that that creates you know props. That's really letting the tail wag the dog, isn't it? But <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is what it is, and. Uh, uh, you know, you, you deal with what constraints you have. You do the best you can, I guess, with it. But uh, but one of the things was that that you know, asking a child to study math at seven thirty in the morning when no adult would want their hardest problems thrown in at a seven thirty seven thirty a.m. meeting is is really unreasonable. And and I guess that's part of what we're seeing here with the afternoon practices. Yeah. So ho I, I mean, I, hopefully this plays its way out for health and we can tie this back to Lamar. You know, it plays its way out for health for everybody that Lamar comes in in better shape. He's prepared. 
plays less during the preseason, but is still mentally ready for what they're trying to do this season. You know, I'm excited that, you know, it's I'm in that sense, I'm excited that Roman is back. I'm excited that they're back to kind of the core personnel that they had in 2019. I think that, you know, we've heard Roman say 80% is already in the playbook. 20% of it is new. Um, you know, that, that shouldn't put them behind the eight ball in terms of any kind of preparation. And it shouldn't require a ton of practice or preseason time to be able to get these guys up to speed, especially in the quarterback room. There you go. All right. Well, uh, let's talk various things here. One of the things that's important, I think, for Lamar and the loss of Hollywood Brown, you know, may play a part in this is, is what connections he has with receivers. He's been a very much a um, find a bailout receiver, uh, use the hive mind with Mark Andrews, use that to probably a lesser degree with Marquise Brown in the past. Um, who do you think are the receivers who are most likely to connect with Lamar this year? I mean, I, you know, Rashad Bateman is going to be a really good wide receiver. Like, barring mm-hmm. any health issues, you know, I, I think that and, and health was part of the reason why he became available to the Ravens in the first place. Um, so for his talent, if he is if he's healthy, there's a ton of opportunity for him to grow. And this idea that Andrews and Bateman won't be a strong enough one two punch for this passing game is moderately laughable in my opinion Um, i think that's more than enough given the running game and again assuming health for the running backs i think that and and the offensive line i guess there are plenty of health questions to go around but assuming health um you know there aren't any real questions to me i i think james prochet stands out to me as the guy that could be the really the difference maker because of everybody he has the best hands of all these guys and the ravens consistently um and andrews have seemed to improve significantly in 2021 over this but have had guys that in big moments on not the easiest of passes but passes that should be caught have guys that have been dropping the ball um and so i think proche if he if he can for whatever reason if he can get the trust of roman and the trust of jackson in terms of the system has a real opportunity to really stick as that guy um, and then I think Tylen Wallace is another guy that, because of injury, like fell way down in terms of what his draft value was, and is is really more like a second round type wide receiver, barring health going into that draft of kind of how he was being labeled headed into that. I think there's a really meaningful potential upside there for him. Um, and there was a lot of interest from the Ravens coordinators. Like Tylen Wallace was getting snaps last year, which surprised me. Like I, I didn't think mm-hmm. that, and it wasn't a ton of snaps. But it just surprised me that he was the guy that was even going to be getting a look. And that must mean that he was doing something right at practice. That's, I think that's certainly true. I mean, he's a big body in some ways, so they like him as a blocker a little bit more than they, than they like some other players. And, and uh, um, Duvernay has a, such a specialized role in this offense that he almost doesn't run the traditional set of routes. And he certainly, I don't think he's anything special at the top of the route either, whereas... Uh, somebody like Wallace uh, brings you a little bit more there. But Duvernay is a gadget guy, very valuable to this offense. So he's very valuable to stress the field with his speed, uh, with jet motion. Um, you know, certainly all the jet motion that Hollywood had before, that's really got to go to to Duvernay this year. There really isn't anybody else who exactly fits that bill or certainly from a, from a that will threaten defenses in the same way. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like what the Ravens have. Um, I, I am concerned at receiver. They're kind of one injury away from being very shorthanded. Uh, but, uh, but they do have, hopefully they'll find one guy from their UDFAs who can give them something, uh, something they want, whether it's, um, you know, big slot is not really a position they need with all the tight ends they have, but, but you know, maybe a, a backup X, 
a guy who can who can uh, do a little bit, uh, spell some receivers, uh, play special teams. But um, but I do hope there's there's a guy there who's actually receiving talent among you know Makai Polk and and um, uh, Devon Williams and all those guys. Yeah, I, you know I worry a little. I, I mean, there's always every team has a position group within it that is going to have be one injury away from if maybe not being as good as you want it to be. And wide receiver certainly is the biggest one, but you could pick any team in the league and pick one important position group on offense and defense, and it's going to be the same way. And so, you know, I think that's why I'm not as concerned about that. Um, David Duvernay, just, just to go back to him for a brief quick moment is one of those interesting players in that he seems like he should have all the talent in the world and he, he should like he's been given all the opportunities to have a bigger role and do more um he's probably the one guy that i think won't get it done from an, an actual mm-hmm. wide receiver perspective he ran it very much reminds me of justice hill and that like has the talent you can see it in certain moments but like just has never been able to when even when given some some opportunities been able to kind of turn that into anything that's worked all right well, I, in terms of um, of a top connection, that's often defined for Lamar as who he looks at in the bailout situation. So whose mind can he work with directly? Uh, so you've, you've heard me talk about this a lot before on the show, people out there who are listening, that, that you know, as Lamar rolls right out of the pocket, and he doesn't always roll right, but more often than not, he's going to roll in that direction to, to escape trouble. Um, there's a set of rules that goes as far as who goes short, middle, and deep towards that sideline. And it also greatly restricts the field. So usually passer ratings under those circumstances are much lower. And Lamar is exceptional in the fact that he can break the rule because he can create separation and turn his upper body in a way to throw back to the middle of the field. Normally that is death to right-handed quarterbacks. You roll right, you throw back to the middle of the field on the run in particular, you are going to get picked a lot. Um, but, but anyway, Lamar you know, wants receivers who break the traditional rules. So I guess my question is, do you see Prochet as a guy, maybe who does that, Bateman as a guy, maybe who can, who can develop that special connection with Lamar that can, that can separate on the extended play in particular to find space between defenders? Yeah, I think that's gonna have to. I think that's gonna have to be Bateman. He'll be the guy that they look to in that role. And and Lamar gets part of the reason Lamar can do that is his athleticism. And the other part is that teams can't like your middle linebacker can't sit between the hashes when Lamar is yep. rolling right. He he's like a magnet. He has to get sucked to the outside hash. And so Lamar has just a much bigger window to throw back across the middle of the field to. Um, Great point. And so. You know, but I think Bateman is going to be the guy, and I think Bateman's going to be the guy who's going to win at the top of routes, right? Like, like you mentioned, Duvernay, just you know, he has that he has one gear, and so when once he gets going, it's it's great, right? But but once you get going, and if a cornerback's already stride for stride with you, et cetera, Bateman strikes me as the guy that's going to be able to be a little bit more twitchy um, and seem like he's going one way and cut back the other, or be able to do good things at the top end of whatever that route looks like. And so I, I think he's I think. He's going to have a really big year. You know that, that's that's an interesting point. Is is uh, on Lamar's extended play? Does it really create a second top of the route situation? Because you know normally you run how many yards you you are. You make your move. You try and wiggle and make the make the uh, defender go the wrong way. You run your route off that. And Bateman, of course, has has a lot of experience running a lot of different routes, which is what makes him so tricky. I think he's also, you know, 
very much twitchy in terms of, of what he shows that defender. Probably is good at reading the defender, but that only really matters when he has an option. But he may be able to, to bait that defender just a little bit longer with his move and then make the one move he has to make at the end of that uh, as, as well. But the, the, the point you bring up is even more interesting to me is when you get to uh, a situation where the play's extended. So he made his move at the top of the route after I don't know how many seconds it would be, but approximately two. Maybe it's 1.8, maybe it's 2.3. I'm not going not gonna to argue about that. Maybe it's less. But, uh, but let's say it gets to three seconds and all of a sudden his route's done and, and it's not working the way it is. He has a second move he can make then he has to identify where there is space, and then he has to decide if there's another twitch he needs to put on that receiver. What does he need to show the guy who's either trailing him, who's right with him, in front of him, whatever it is, before he moves? Does he have to wait for some sort of reaction from that defender in terms of, of him looking back into the backfield to then make his move and, and do that? But it's almost like a second opportunity to lose a, uh, a, a corner or, or whatever pass defender is on you at that point. And Hollywood was surprisingly good at that so like a couple yeah. plays that jump out in my mind are the touchdown in the cleveland game um, yep. <laughs> a couple years ago and then the jump pass touchdown in the kansas city game last year um where like the pocket was collapsing lamar looked like he was going to rush and then he jumped up in the air and he throws it 30 yards that like i mean that was like for anybody that doesn't think lamar has arm talent like they need to go back and watch this play because yeah you know the tim tebow jump pass pass went eight yards and looked horrendous Lamar jump passes and throws the ball 35 yards down the field to a wide open Hollywood who I think is has baited the defense into thinking he's coming back to Lamar and then done whatever he you know and it'd be really interesting actually to go back and look at the all 22 of that and then turns around and goes back the other way and he's got that quick acceleration to turn around and do that if Bateman can do something similar I, I think we'll see several plays that you know, especially if Stanley and the line are back, that, that get broken that way and bust out in, in big ways. Yeah, and, and I, I'll be interested to see now, just thinking about this, what a receiver like Bateman, who clearly has tremendous receiving skills. And the Ravens had a bunch of guys without receiving skills who had all kinds of tools. You go back to Brashad Perriman, a guy with, with very limited receiving skills uh, you know, a hard time catching the ball but that wasn't the only problem uh, you know, there was others as well in terms of route running uh, but but they, they the uh what Bateman will do to a defender you know how savvy he'll be in terms of manipulating him with his arms with 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 how he reads his head during the route um, I think will be will be something really to look for this year and I think he he probably has the stones to to have that big breakout depending on that I think Mark Andrews already does that very well yeah and you know the, I think that there are combo route things that could be worked in that work a little bit better between Bateman and Andrews than they did between Andrews and Brown um, and so I, I'm excited about kind of I, I hate to say this out loud because part of me feels like I'm going to be let down. But it, it's exciting to think about what kind of route combinations that, you know, Roman could work through, you know, with the right personnel groupings, you know, at this iteration. And so we'll see if those come to fruition. I mean, that's been the big knock on Greg Roman. And and, and I'm, I'm very pro Greg Roman coming into the season. I'm pro the personnel grouping that they're bringing into the season. I think you can get away with a receiving core that has 2,000 yards total or less and still win a Super Bowl. Um, that being said, the thing that has always been the question with him is, can you get away from these stale route concepts and get really creative behind that to take it to the next level? 
Yeah, and that'll, that, that's a legitimate question. And, and I'm, I'm concerned that the Ravens lack the true speed option at wide receiver to uncover the defense. And I, I, I keep thinking back to some big plays that Mark Andrews has had in the past and the way that um, Marquise Audit, Brown was able to uh, unwrap the top of the defense, that he would always take a safety with him in addition to the corner who was covering him. Or, you know, if they're in zone defense, that, that you know, there, there'd be multiple defenders gravitating to him in the, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, in the route pattern, and that would allow Andrew space underneath. Um, it's just, it's, it, to me, it's, it's uh, you know, that, that's maybe the biggest fear I have about the passing game is that it's going to be too compressed. And while we've complained about it in 2019, uh, when the offense was great, you know, and you still find ways to complain. I don't know how you do about that offense. Boy, if the Ravens could ever get back to that, we'd be thrilled. But, you know, they had the speed guys. They had Miles Boykin uh, and they had Brown. And that's a hell of a lot of speed to have. On that. Now, right now, the only take the top off guy really is Duvernay, and I don't see him as a guy who's going to draw tons of double coverage automatically. It doesn't seem like, even if you're on the back end of the defense, that he's a. You know, I I, I think that so a couple of things. One is the, the Ravens don't see a lot of the deep cover two shells that the rest of the league are throwing at all these top tier quarterbacks, yep. right? So so you naturally are in kind of single high whatever iteration, and I think that that. Whatever happens with that, I don't think that that's going to turn into a robber, right? Like, I think that person is still going to need to stay deep. And regardless of who the receiver is, there are going to be one-on-one deep balls that are that become available for the Ravens. So we've, and we've heard this, and I think this is something that you and I have both complained about. Like last year, it took, what, eight or nine games for the Ravens to draw a defensive pass interference call. But I also think part of that is because Lamar is really, Lamar is good at reading defenses in terms of what they're doing with the deep ball. And so if the deep guys, and they use one guy to take the top off, to take two defenders with him and then work underneath that, I think that guy will still continue to, whoever they are, even if they're not winning their route, so to speak, is still going to take the deep guy with him. And the teams are still going to still be in single high instead of like cover two. And so the Ravens are either going to get deep one-on-one opportunities where they can throw it to guys like Bateman and Brochet, and maybe they haven't separated and like the way that Hollywood did in that Miami game. But I think that there's going to be success on those routes, both in completions and DPIs in a way if teams make that adjustment, right? Um, it, yes, that will clog, will clog more of the field, but I think Lamar would be happy to throw deep into one-on-ones in those situations. Once you get 30 yards down the field, you're not seeing if it's one-on-one and it's just two guys out there alone, you're not seeing a lot of interceptions. Those aren't going to convert into turnovers um, in most instances. And Lamar, I think, is going to be happy to take those throws because he makes often makes the right reads in those situations. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I think if you're looking for the receiver who might grow into that jump ball role, if you're talking about it, I think Wallace might be the guy. Uh, you know, it's not like Bateman can't be the guy, but Bateman, they're going to need to use all over the field the way they use Andrews. And, and Andrews is not, you know, a, a pure jump ball guy. Uh, he sometimes gets put in that contested catch situation. But Wallace is more of a, a you know, in college, a sideline route runner, a guy who is more used to doing that, uh, probably, you know, can get back to some of that and, and be a, a favorite target of Lamar to, uh, you know, throw if he's even, he's leaving balls, uh, well, you know, when as... And I'd also be interested, and you know, this is not something that I've thought of a, a lot, but I wonder what the like third and distance was for like the 2019 team, 
So if we evolve back to a little bit more to an offense that looks like 2019, I think you're just going to see a lot more like second and like six and sevens and thirds and like two and threes. Right. And so like, yes, the field is compressed, but if all you got to do is go three yards and you got your Maulers out there, right. And your offensive line is where you want and it's Ricard and three tight ends and you're running the ball down their throats, right? Like, I don't care how many people that you put out there on the field, uh, you know, or how many guys you want to stuff into the box. If you only have to get three yards, then I don't need someone taking the top off this defense. I only need him going down five yards down the field and winning a one-on-one. Um, and so I think there's still opportunities underneath that that you don't, yes, you yes you want to see your take the top off guy be able to pull safeties away in moments that you need to. But if you can reduce the number of times that you need that, then that works all the same. Sure. Well, fair enough. That's that's a you know good point to make. That 2019 team, in all fairness, if it was third and three, they only needed two yards. They didn't need three yards, and a lot of times they, they would be happy with one yard, depending on where they were in terms of field position. But uh, that was one of the beautiful things about the efficiency of that offense was you know fourth down was a, was a working down. It was a, it was part of their working capital in terms of of efficiency in that for that offense. Uh, let's talk about maybe game management skills because that's been a that's been a part of Lamar's uh, past that I think has been um, down uh, downplayed. Um, you know, is, has been something that that uh, a lot of pundits, I think, without a lot of information, uh, tend to think has been very poor for Lamar. Uh, you and I, having seen Lamar uh, play, I obviously see him as more of a very good two-minute quarterback, right? Lamar is it's a mind boggling thing that people don't think that Lamar is good in those situations. I mean, like I'm thinking back to I mean, maybe this was in 2019. It was the Cleveland game and they were down like 21 to nothing in the first half. And he scored two touchdowns in like less than two minutes. Right. uh, To to get them within a score. I think it was 21 17 by halftime in that game. And then the Ravens like steamrolled them through the second half once he got kind of got it going like he's. He, I think he's always been elite in those situations. And, you know, everyone everyone knocks him for his running ability in those situations. But that still, to me, is the striking differentiator um, in those situations. The team, even in pass-only or pass-heavy or pass-assumed situations, Lamar is mm-hmm. still a threat to run at huge chunks of yardage, right? Like, we're not talking about he's a threat to get four or five yards on the ground. Right. And, and Josh Allen is to some degree similar. Right. But Lamar is, is has to be, I think Josh Allen gets away with it because teams just let him, right. Like they approach it, like he's not going to run. And then he kind of, it's like one of those Daniel Jones kind of situations where he cuts it loose and there's nobody around him. So he's able to run it mm-hmm. 20 or 30 yards with Lamar. Their guys can be around him and he's still going to run at 20 or 30 yards and defenses have to respect that in those situations. And it makes it a little easier for Lamar to make decisions and pass the ball in those cases because of what he's able to do on the ground. So it's not to his disadvantage um, in a lot of those cases. It's to his advantage. Right. I, I agree with what you're saying here. I did to go back for 2018 to 20. So this is when the Ravens offense was really what we wanted it to be. The 21 season, I would tend to leave out because on both sides of the ball, that team had problems. Okay, a lot of problems defending the pass because of injuries, but a lot of problems also a tackle that that changed things. So just looking at the 2018 to 20 team, I, I don't think there's a way you could make Lamar be bad out of this, but he wasn't completely dominant. Surprisingly, in the first half, in the last two minutes, the Ravens are outscored during that three-year period, 87 to 83. So it was close, all right? And in the second half, he outscored teams in the last two minutes, 45 to 40. So I, I don't think you can make Lamar into a bad second half quarterback out of that. But I think this team in particular 
with the secondary the Ravens have arrayed, this should be a time when they dominate other teams in the in the in the last two minutes, particularly the first half, because the first half you you, you know normally you might be in your standard packages when you're when you're not well not normally at two minutes but normally at four minutes say you might be in your standard packages but at two minutes you can play all dime you can you can you can toss seven defensive backs out there every single play if you want to and I think this team will do very well with that advantage and Lamar then relatively should do a lot better than the opponents. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what McDonald does in those situations, what he does for this defense. But but I, I think that I think that's only going to be to kind of this Ravens team's advantage. And, and I think that Lamar doesn't, and this is Greg Roman as much as it is Lamar, they don't get enough credit for how much that offense can do for those defenses. Like those the, the Ravens defenses the last four years have not been Ravens defenses of old. Right in 2019 was probably the best version of what those defenses mm-hmm. look like, especially post Marcus Peters. Um, but what they do in terms of shrinking the clock, shrinking the time, like ha- being the threat that they are, are going to be really to their advantage. And if Marcus Peters comes back and is what what he was before, I expect I expect those numbers from the secondary to get, like you said, really get turned up. Right. It's, it's it's such a symbiosis there that that you know your your defense plays a lot better with the lead. Your offense is can be incredibly dominant with the lead, but the defense, this defense in particular, is made to take the ball away. You want the other team to to be forced to throw the ball and be forced to throw the ball while you're looking at the quarterback. It's, a, it's just the ideal situation with the playmakers the Ravens have on the back end, and uh, I, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I frankly, one of the things I'm most excited about is the is the notion that. The Ravens don't have to be as weak if they don't want to be at inside linebacker in terms of pass coverage. And I think that should really help Lamar on offense, you know, indirectly, we'll call it. But, but you know, in, in terms of that symbiosis between the offense and the defense. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Lamar the runner because I, you know one of the things that I want to see this year, and, I, and I'm I'll be interested to hear your take on this, is that the Ravens return to kind of this three-pronged running attack as the basis of what they're doing. And it doesn't mean that they're not, they're still probably be passing the ball over half the time because situationally in football you have to do that. But, but in terms of, of what, uh, you know, important plays, keep possession, grind time, uh, control the clock in the manner that they would like exactly, uh, you know, I think that having that three-prong running attack is extremely useful. And they, they have multiple ways they can do it. They can do it with a sidecar, and they can do it with shotgun. And I'd really like the Ravens to be versatile because it changes where Lamar is a threat. Out of sidecar, it's up the middle. Out of shotgun, uh, sorry, out of pistol, it's on the edge after that, out of that mesh handoff. Yeah, no, I, I would, I, I mean, it would be great to see that come back. I think that Linderbaum is going to be a piece of that. We're going to have, you know, a tighter snapping game and more opportunities in terms of how that's going to look. I I want Tyree Phillips to win the guard spot out of camp. I think that if, if Stanley, Phillips, and Linderbaum are the three guys to your left, what you can do in terms of pools in combinations with all of them is going to be really vexing to defenses to kind of have to process as they as you mix those into like mesh points counter bash like all the different things that roman mm-hmm. is going to have at his disposal to do that i think that there's just you know it's like obviously in Zeitler is no slouch right like in terms of what he brings in the running game but you know he's not going to be the pulling guy they're just i just think that there are a ton of opportunities from a run perspective i think lamar is going to have a really big year on the ground i think he i think he's committed to that we i talked about that already in his athleticism that he wants to do more and see more as a result of that and i think that the ravens are not like 
I think that the whole league is waiting, like kind of subtly baiting the Ravens and being like, hey, you need to have Lamar throw the ball. And Baltimore is just, they're just going to lean into it. And they're going to do what they know is really good. You know, I, I was, I, I, I got a like 50 to one, it was a 50 to one um, bet on Lamar to win MVP earlier in the year. That, that's already come down to 25 to one at Caesars. Um, that's how much that those dynamics have changed from it. And I think the Ravens are just going to lean into it. And it's, I think it's a hundred to one that Lamar would lead the league in total rushing yards. And I almost, I almost put like $25 down on that. Um, just because I thought it was interesting because I, I think that there's, if they can stretch this defense laterally and some of like the mesh stuff and some of the outside stuff is brought back from the threat of Domins and a healthier offensive line, I think we're going to see some big chunk runs coming from Lamar this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, it, it really appeared that there were troubles with the mesh point, really the most since 2018. So if you look back at the history of Lamar and the mesh with this team, it's, you know, we've had four years now, but the 2018 teams had a lot of problems executing it. And they started the year with Flacco, so they weren't doing, you know, going to the mesh, pulling it out. The, that whole thing is difficult if your running backs and quarterbacks don't agree the, about the process to do it. Well, you know, they had a lot of balls on the ground that year, way too many. And despite Lamar's effectiveness and the Ravens' unbelievable juggernaut of a run game that showed up in those last seven games, you know, it, it wasn't something you automatically thought, well, in 2019, they can just do the same thing. Uh, and Lamar can evolve as a passer, we hope. And, you know, it'll be pretty, it'll be okay. And the defense will be good. But, you know, they, they went back to it and they, and they had Mark Ingram. And you had then a really professional, outstanding running back who really understood the mesh point. And, uh, you know, he had his one golden year that year before he got hurt and then he got released. But uh, he really understood the mesh point. And the best quote I heard from him was, you can pull out the ball as late as you want. You just have to pull it out hard. And as long as, you know, he can manage that and, you know, maintaining that grip that allows that ball still to be pulled, throughout a significant window there where Lamar is reading, then that is the running back you want. And I, I have one more thing to say about that, but I just want to let you respond first. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm really, in, you know, J.K. Dobbins will be interesting to see whether he's effective in that role. But I think you want to talk about a guy that's going to come into this year with a chip on his shoulder. Like J.K. Dobbins seems determined. Like, like he was the other, he's also like 100 to 1 to lead the league in rushing. And I almost thought about that bet as well because he, he just seems unrelentingly determined to prove anybody wrong. Like his beef with Ian Rappaport over like his injury mm -hmm. status is wild. Like, like it was a lot for something that doesn't really matter. Um, and I think he's going to come out and have a massive year because, because I don't think he's going to let anyone stop him. Yeah, I, I, you know, both of those bets kind of seem like sucker bets, honestly, with both Lamar to lead the league in rushing or Dobbins. And, and part of the reason is there are just so many mouths to feed in the Ravens offense. They don't have a bell cow running back. It's, you know, it's not a, a Henry situation where he's going to get, you know, a very high percentage of the touches. And when he's in, he's almost designated to run on his snaps. Uh, Dobbins is in there. He gets the ball a lot, but Jackson pulls the ball a lot and runs it himself. And the Ravens are very committed to a, you know, kind of a more balanced workload across their running backs and they have good scheme fits that, so, so it's just, it's, it's very difficult to do. I'd, I'd be very comfortable betting on the, on the Ravens to lead the league in rushing, depending on the odds. Yeah. I, I, I it almost wouldn't even matter what the odds were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Um, let's see. What else do we want to talk about here? Um, risks. This is something I, that, that is important to me about Lamar. Uh, I think it's very overplayed 
in terms of the sacks. But I'd like to get your take on, on what you want to see out of Lamar in terms of taking personal risks with his body. That's an interesting question. You know, I think he does uh, an amazing job in deciding when he should and shouldn't push forward in terms of running the ball. He gets out of bounds better than anybody in the league, as long as that persists. Um, his actual kind of uh, scrambling and running to pick up yards, I'm not concerned about it at all. I do worry a little bit when he gets outside the pocket. And I, I mean, that's how that's both how the injury happened in the Buffalo game. It's how the injury happened last year. Um, gets running around a little bit, gets chased up and, and can kind of get some guys diving at his ankles um, towards the end of it. And he just doesn't get over it. And that's when he ends up getting hurt. Um, and so, you know, it worries me a little bit, but I think the, I think the offensive line play is going to improve so significantly um, this upcoming year. I mean, the Ravens, the Ravens have invested heavily. I think I saw um, Walter Sharp had tweeted that like over the last five years, the Ravens were like, and, and forgive me for not having the precise numbers, but we're like 27th, like 18th, 26th and 24th mm-hmm. um, in offensive line spending. And this year they're fifth. Right. And, and they were like, I think that they, and I think they've always known this, but I think they got it, which was that if we protect Lamar, like this team is going to be in every single game that we're in. We didn't even protect Lamar last year and we were at the top of the AFC. Right. And, um, and we're in all the games, even with Huntley. In right. There, and so, we're still yeah. in the games. Right. And Lamar took them to victory all, all the way to the top of the AFC with a very flawed roster last year. Right. Mm-hmm. So now what, what do we do if we don't have a flawed roster? We bother to try and not that they weren't trying to stay healthy, but we implement new things to try and stay healthy. But we make sure that we keep Lamar clean because that was a big part of 2019 is that Lamar just like, you know, he did run the ball and he had, you know, situations where, you know, he was getting hit on fourth downs and some of that kind of stuff. But they kept him clean. Um, and if that's something that they can do with this team, you know, I, I, am a fan and I, and I think that Lamar, Lamar has Lamar's decision-making skills in those, in, in those instances, I think are pretty good and, and pretty hard to knock. Yeah, I, I agree. And Lamar, there's a lot of sacks he takes as he transitions from being a passer to a runner, uh, where they're not really sacks. They're, they're, they're run play tackles. They're not hard tackles. Generally speaking, often gets, you know, just uh, taken down on his own terms as he's running the ball forward. Uh, he's not hit in the pocket the way other things are. Quarterback hits are where quarterbacks get injured. And that's where you really need, that's where the pass blocking will come in and really help. Uh, and there aren't too many of that. Lamar has just wonderful eyes in the back of his head moving away from pressure. And that's why his relationship with Ronnie Stanley and r- some of Ronnie Stanley's slow death blocking techniques is a pass blocker, meaning he's continuing to mirror effectively and giving ground to do so works so well with Lamar because Lamar reads it well and can move away from it, sometimes can move towards it, you know, and, and, and reel off a, a big run play if you've got an over-aggressive defender who's trying to move, uh, edge defender particularly, is trying to move to the inside. Um, but anyway, you, 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 the relationship that he has with Ronnie Stanley, he needs that so badly back. To, to really get the security back. And the Ravens have other, you know, potential issues in terms of, of you know, the, the left A-gap may being, be, being weak potentially to, to stunts and to, to blitzes and whatnot. But I, I'm, I'm uh, most concerned about all players on offense right now about where Ronnie Stanley is in terms of his ability to still pass block the same way. Even if you go back to the Oakland game last year, our limited opportunity to see Ronnie Stanley on the rollout play where it took almost five seconds for Lamar to throw that touchdown to Marquise Brown going kind of across the field and to the right. If you rewatch that play, 
The reason it happens is because Ronnie Stanley comes from left tackle and makes a huge block, like right in the middle of the pocket um, to spring Lamar. And, and, you know, for all the people that are tough on Ronnie Stanley about, you know, or they're hard on him about his toughness and his grit, like for him to be able to come make that kind of block in that situation, I'd like highly recommend people going back to watch it. Um, He makes a huge difference for this offensive line. Yeah, you know, you're you're pointing out something about Stanley that the Ravens have sorely missed, but he's one of the greatest guys at looking for work. Uh, this this happens on the backside of run plays more than any other. I've talked about this, I know, a, a lot before, but I feel like I have to say it. Um, when when the left tackle or, or when any tackle is on the backside of a run play, oftentimes the best thing he can do is get a cut black cut block on the nearest defender, which means he's going to the ground immediately, kind of giving himself up. It's a fairly low percentage block. And in looking at missed blocks that I've scored in my offensive line system, uh, tackles have higher miss rates, and they almost always come on the backside of run plays like that. They have a harder time converting. Ronnie Stanley is really exceptional. He gets out at a level two and three, and he finds another block. That also is true when he's on the front side of a play. Ronnie Stanley isn't isn't through with a play when, when he seals necessarily. He can get out there and block two guys sometimes. And, and that's just very, uh, very exciting and interesting to see. And I, I, I want the Ravens to have that back. And we talk about Tyler Linderbaum and all the speed he's going to add to this offense. But a healthy Ronnie Stanley back, you know, would would help any downfield blocking considerably. I mean, he's, he's just been really exceptional when he's uh, when he has been healthy. I mean, the counter bash pool of Tyler Linderbaum and Ronnie Stanley is just a terribly exciting thought in my mind, right? Like, it's already a drawn-up play. It's already incredibly hard to defend, right? Like, like the Ravens have to be installing this already and, like, getting Linderbaum ready for it. But the two of those guys out in motion in front of Jackson or Dobbins in, in either iteration of that is just, like, that is going to be a really hard play to stop. Yeah, a hard play to stop. The Ravens don't even run behind their counter, their their pullers, and when they counter all that often, uh, they they do it some. Like, I'm, I'm not saying they never do it, they, but they often uh, use it for misdirection, and it's a very effective play with Stanley on the backside for misdirection because they've got to be much more careful about that with the speed he brings. With Villanueva, is you got a much slower player, a, a ponderous player, and and other guys, you know, would 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 have the same problem in terms of not being able to uh, pull the front. That is one of the problems I have with Phillips is that some of his mobility, uh, it's not at the level, in my opinion, even that Cleveland is. Cleveland is as decent long speed, um, but, but I think Cleveland will give the Ravens a little bit more in terms of just general mobility. Um, and and uh, the, uh, uh, the other guy I want to talk about. Um, Powers. Uh, Bozeman, Bozeman, uh, who they, who they've lost, uh, you know, is 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 probably the counter example in that he, you know, could do pretty well pulling even though he had really unimpressive generalized athleticism. Yeah, I, I it's it'll be interesting to see, especially that battle at left guard. I, I don't know that I, I think that Phillips. We didn't get enough opportunity. Like Phillips hasn't got enough opportunities to just stay a guard. I think that the Ravens. Mm-hmm. This year, we're like, we are hopefully are in a position where they're not going to let him play tackle. They're not going to ask him to play tackle. It's not going to be part of what he has to do. Let him focus on guard and see if we can turn some of that athleticism into something they can use. Yeah, I, I think that'd be good. I mean, the other thing Phillips has is really good length. And so I really love him as the backup right guard, where I don't think his... I don't think his athleticism gets him into trouble there because he won't pull as often from right guard. 
and he's going to be better with his length at the techniques that are needed to torque your opponent and open the front door uh, for, for the right-handed run game. So, you know, Zeitler, they have a guy, guy there who's not getting beat by anybody in, in, in Zeitler. And we just hope he plays a third year in Baltimore, maybe even gets extended. But with, uh, if, they, if they ever needed to replace him, if they, if they needed a backup, I think Phillips would be my guy for that. I, I don't think um, you'd, you'd make it otherwise. I, I, I don't think you'd, you'd make a change to McCary, say, or somebody else. I think, I think Phillips is the first guy I'd try. I, I'm a little concerned, though, that if they put Phillips at a left guard, they may need him at right guard at some point, and then then we've got multiple changes being made. And so, Ravens are going to be, have to be careful. This is a big like parking lot slider puzzle on their offensive line. They really have to be careful about. It. And they've got one good trump card in McCary who can play a few different positions, uh, and they can make a one for one switch. But they need to be very careful about that. Yeah, I agree. But the I mean, it's hard not to be excited about the offensive line talent coming into the season comparatively to some of the past few seasons and. You know, I agree with you. If they play their, if they play kind of play the cards right and, you know, and even sustain a couple injuries, but have set themselves up appropriately in that process, um, they could still be a pretty good offensive line here, which is not something I think, you know, we weren't saying that last year. We, we were all crossing our fingers and everybody was healthy and, um, and then they weren't. <laughs> so, so the team has two highly touted rookies, but they also have 10 veteran linemen who are returning and you know, players like Cologne are kind of on the margin of that. And we understand it, but uh, if Phillips, honestly, you know, he, he could be on the margin of that in his third year, I don't think he's going to get cut, but, but you know, he's, he's, he's competing. Um, they have 10 veteran players. What this means is during the preseason, we are going to see th- three iterations of the offensive line, which are going to be excited to watch. And, and we're slated to do that that second game of the offense together. I hope we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on the offensive line and really talk about the second half play of Daniel Falele and and uh, and others in the in that game because it ought to be really fun this uh, this preseason to have so many guys. Of course, they'll probably be sitting all of them. Stanley Zeitler, you know, nobody's going to get playing time because uh, because of what's going on. But it'll be exciting to see. I, I mean, Falele is probably going to get a lot of snaps um, in this preseason, and and, and I think we're going to see you know guys like. You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do between that combination of Phillips and, and Cleveland and Powers and like who ends up playing a lot more of those snaps, you know, once we do get into the preseason and, and how they decide they want to handle that. It's, you know, the injury watch for the Ravens is is certainly merited this year, but it makes it a little bit more intriguing as to what they're going to do to approach both preseason and what everything, the rest of what they're doing at the camp. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get back to Lamar for a second and talk about what circumstances are kind of better for him. And what might be worse for him this year? That's kind of a something I, I did want to go through in this show. Uh, but I think we, we can start with the improved offensive line play. It couldn't. Well, no, I won't say that because it can always be worse. But I think it would be very hard for this Ravens team with a veteran set of offensive line and the new guys they brought in uh, t- to really not be as good on the offensive line as or better as they were last year. I'd be, I would be really surprised if they were worse than, worse than last year, yeah. given who's going into the season. And yeah, it should make a huge difference for Lamar. All right. Um, you know, one thing that you mentioned briefly is the Linderbaum thing. And I don't know that we know this is going to be okay, but I'll be looking for it in the preseason. It'll be one of the things we can talk about after that week two game is, is what kind of velocity and trajectory do we get on Linderbaum snaps? Uh, Lamar seemed to be... I won't say bothered because you don't really see Lamar Jackson get bothered on a football field too much. He's not a big emoter. Uh, he doesn't get real upset. And, and this is something maybe we saw more of him early in his career, just thinking back. But I, I don't see a guy who gets after his teammates. 
occasionally you'll, you'll see some motion about a route, but you look at other quarterbacks like Roethlisberger and how, how often he does it. I mean, the guy's in, a, in drama club and <laughs> relative to, uh, to what Lamar Jackson is. Right. And, and, and Tom Brady too, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Just just for the record, uh, but you know, I, I would say it, Lamar has always been in really good at keeping his cool in that regard. But his snap exchange and what had, when, what ends up happening with Linderbaum could be a big part of like an advantage to the Ravens in a way that has hurt this team in a couple of big moments the past few years. Yeah, and that will go unnoticed by by most people, I think. But but Bradley Bozeman, if you had to find a, a problem with what he did at center, I thought he had a very good year at center last year. But uh, his snaps improved in terms of not going over the quarterback's head. But there was almost a um, a give back to that is that I think he had kind of low velocity on his snaps and trajectory was not good, meaning there were a lot of 12 to 6 curveballs in there, which are coming down to Lamar at his knees rather than at his um, uh, you know, waist or belly button kind of thing. And, and you, know, you, you, you just give the quarterback extra time to read the field, read how the defenders are initially moving. If you give Lamar that nice, sweet snap where, where he can handle it quickly and, and, you know, doesn't have to act like a catcher trying to stop a wild pitch. Yep. There, there are big time opportunities, you know, for the Ravens to have improved in some of those situations. And there were definitely plays where Lamar took a loss or like had to eat it on snaps that weren't terrible, um, but it, it did end up busting the play. All right. I, I, another thing I think could help the Ravens more, and I'll just, I, I want to let you start the conversation on these because I feel like I'm okay. dominating, but, but the additional speed at running back. I, 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 talk about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the, the night and day difference between the actual talent at running back that the Ravens should be bringing in, this, even if it was Tyler Beatty and Mike Davis only, the improvement of Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman just from, from a pure talent perspective is significant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Add on top of that the potential of that being J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And I don't know if you saw the clip of today of J.K. Dobbins catching a pass on the field. And I'm not really sure how this exempts it, like allows him to stay on the physically <laughs> unable to perform list. But he caught a he caught a pass and made a massive cut, turns up field, and the burst was 100% there. Um, what that's going to require defenses to do and how it's going to spread just – and even just – you know, a couple yards apart wider when the Ravens are trying to do what they're trying to do are going to make a significant difference in the running game overall. The, the impact of what that speed is going to do is going to cast is going to be a lot more than yards that were not picked up by Murray and Freeman. And there were plenty of them that were not picked up because of a lack mm-hmm. of speed. But it's going to add a lot more to that dimension that goes well beyond that. Yeah, it's interesting, even even with those guys in there and even with Huntley in there at the end of the year who is not as credible a run threat as Lamar is still a credible run threat but not a not as credible by any by any stretch doesn't take resources away in the same way the Ravens still had a pretty good average yards per carry for the year last year and and uh, even those guys were both over four although uh, you know what we saw out of Latavius Murray getting there was some of the slowest loping runs in that Pittsburgh game which uh, got his average over four for the year yeah it, it, there, there's there's big time room for improvement out of that group. It's it's it'll be unbelievable. All right, we saw a few less drops uh, would be a good thing. I think out of out of uh, the receivers this year, Marquise Brown had some problems this last year. Dropped some easy touchdowns. Uh, Mark Andrews, you know, one of the things I point to is that he had not a great year in terms of passer rating throwing to him. It was only about ninety three throwing to him. Now that's not a 
top tight end kind of number. You should you, we should see something higher than that. If you go back to 2019, the, the passer rating throw in Nick Boyle was 133. But most of that was due to nine interceptions thrown on balls intended for Mark Andrews. So I think what happened, and I'd really have to go back and look at each one individually to see if 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 I'm recalling this correctly, is that there were a fair number of contested throws um, that uh, were made uh, that, that that created those interceptions. Yeah, that's you know that that would be an interesting way to look at it. And Lamar, Lamar definitely you know for all the struggles that I don't think that that are attributed to him that he didn't have that that he doesn't have. I think that there were some situations underneath defenders that were lurking underneath that he was not recognizing mm-hmm. turning into interceptions has been that has been his Achilles heel and the thing that has bit him. It's, it's a, it cost him the Buffalo game, for example, you know, when it was his first ever red zone interception. Like sometimes he's just looking beyond some of that. And part of that is just because he knows that whatever's in front of him, like if he has to run, he can take care of. So he's not really looking at it. He doesn't have to process it. Um, so I wonder if some of those throws were, were also kind of part of that. Also, you know, if, if they were just, in a lot of instances, really kind of forcing the ball to Mark Andrews um, yeah. in some situations. And, the, and you, we saw the same thing happen with Hollywood, where, like, I'm sure that the passer rating, I, I don't know what his passer rating receiving was, but, like, it was it had to be, by the end of the year, way down. I mean, they threw the ball to him a ton. A lot of it was short, you know. So so in those situational type things, you're taking that away. And, and that still roots back to the offensive line not being good enough, not allowing you to do enough with your route concepts and not doing enough to allow your quarterback to have opportunities that are mixed in there. Um, you know, you mentioned Nick Boyle's kind of passer rating as the secondary. I, I think, and I mentioned this on my podcast, on the podcast that I did recently with Gabe, I think that Isaiah likely is going to have a very similar year to what Hayden Hurst did in his rookie year um, or in 2019, sorry, um, where he's got that 40 ish target mark. Right. And he's going to make big impact in those situations. I think that we're going to the the add on or a plus up for the Ravens at tight end this year, especially with Boyle, hopefully being more healthy than he was as well, um, is going to be another significant boost to this offense. All right. Outstanding. Two things I want to respond to in that. The first is that uh, I think you're right about the underneath interceptions and the Cleveland four interception game, which the Ravens won anyway at home. Just a remarkable worst game of of his career by far. Um, All four of those interceptions were intended for Mark Andrews. And the second point you made was about Marquise Brown and the rating thrown to him. And I'm not looking at Mark Andrews right now, but Marquise Brown in his three years with the Ravens, 2019, 123.2. That was only 71 targets. Bopped up to 100 targets in 2020. Rating throwing to him was 92.5. I'm using the pro football reference numbers for this, by the way. And in the third year, uh, he had his 1,000-yard year on, 1, 000, on 146 targets. He had almost felt like 1,000 targets. But, <laughs> but his rating was uh, 87.9 throwing to him. Now, some of that, obviously, is Huntley in that year. But you can see a decline. Here's what I find interesting about that. I think that there's a, a, is an avenue of analytics that has not yet been studied and probably because it's very, very difficult to define that would say that incremental targets have decreasing marginal return for a receiver. So if if you're a 100 target receiver and you go to 150, um, your 50 extra targets might be the bailout targets that your quarterback says, okay, I'm throwing it to you because you're the best chance. As third and seven, we have to get this, and there's no other option. So, you know, Michael Crabtree in the year before he came to the Ravens was that guy for Derek Carr, and he really had a, a crappy efficiency year. In fact, he had several crappy efficiency years in there, but he had a real bad efficiency year in his last year at the Raiders. 
And, uh, and I think it was mostly because he was Carr's bailout guy. And, and Andrews uh, suffered this year. I think Brown suffered. And you mentioned it, it's, it's layered in terms of what the problem is with, with Brown because some of those targets were just scheming the ball out quickly in, into routes that are not where you want Hollywood Brown running. You want him getting behind a defense, punishing them for, for, for guarding the line of scrimmage. Uh, overly, but you don't want him running a lot of short routes and then going down quickly and and all the things that come along with that. He's just not a great yak receiver when he's not behind the defense. And, and the Ravens will be better off with more rushing attempts to kind of dictate where those things are. I, I think just given yeah. the way this personnel of the team is dictated, that I, I will trade you know twenty of those targets to Mark Andrews into runs. You know, take you know, 10, 20, 30 of those kind of wide receiver targets, turn them into some kind of runs as well. That's going to be to everybody's advantage, even though a lot of people don't want to see that happen. I, I totally, I think that you, you get, at least the way the Ravens are built right now, you get less diminishing returns on the efficiency or the EPA of those running plays than you'll get from some of those passing plays. I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I want to look at the Ravens passing attempts these last couple of years, because I think this is a that you make a great point here. We're going to do this, even if I have to take a while to, to bring this up, because it is just too important. But the Baltimore Ravens in in a 17 game season through 611 passes. So let's just write that down here. 17, 611, and that's in 21. In 20, and the offense was more effective, of course, in 20. Uh, they threw, coming up on it here, um, they were the seventh of this, they threw, is this right, 406 passes in 16 <laughs> games? So they threw 205 more passes in one more game. Uh, and then in 19, I want to go back and see this, just, just how uh, different this is, how, how different this is, but... Um, Baltimore Ravens threw 440 passes in 16 games. So that's interesting that the 19 team uh, threw more passes than the 20 team. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have guessed the 20 team threw more. But you can definitely see that fewer passes per game means the Ravens are, are more likely to win. And, and they're, they're much better off throwing 25, 26, 27 passes per game than they are throwing the 611 over 17. That sounds like about 35 to me. Uh, passes per game that they did in 2021. When it's the age-old, like, you know, when you run the ball more times, you've won more games because you're running yeah. the ball when you're winning games kind of thing. So, like, some of the, there, there's some noise that's wrapped up in there. But, you know, I again, I just think that, you know, the Ravens have their opportunities of efficiency and that they're going to be hopefully be converting second and third downs and shorts that in, in ways that they haven't been able to, you know, last year for example, um, and so they'll be able to throw a little bit less or at least decide whether or not they want to throw or run in those situations. Like dictate, be dictating to the defense what they want to know, do, want to do rather than being having it being dictated back at them. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, and it would be fair to say that some of those plays were pass plays that ended up being scrambles. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to you know, dispute that sort of thing, but 36 passes per game in 2021 where they were at just over 25 in 20 and they were at what looks like about 27 in 2019 so uh yeah it's fewer is fewer is better and you you 
You run to win, and the Ravens, sorry, the Ravens win because they run, but they also run to win in their case. So the old adage, you know, uh, I I think has has multiple meanings for this Ravens team. I I have Uh, one more thing that I think is an advantage of this year compared uh, to last, which is that the depth of the tight end is going to allow the Ravens to ask Patrick Ricard to do less as the inline tight end guy. And that took away capability of what that tight end was supposed to be providing. And Ricard, I think, is good in the flat, and he's good as a fullback, as as a catching fullback. He does exactly what you'd want, and probably a little bit more than you'd expect from that. Right? He's not Kyle Juszczyk, um, but he mm-hmm. he is as capable as you'd want from him. But then when you ask him to be an inline tight end, it just takes away a huge dynamic of what the defense decides they have to do. And if that is Kolar, or likely this upcoming year, or Boyle even as a more healthy version of that. In that iteration, you talked about Boyle having 130 plus passing rating as a receiver. Then that dynamic of what that adds and where that forces, and the Ravens do what Greg Roman does really well is he forces five, six, seven plus defenders on the same play to make choices over what they're seeing happening in front of them, both on personnel and emotion. And if they can bring that back and maximize what they're getting from Ricard, it just becomes a really difficult offense to defend no matter what anybody wants to say about it. <laughs> Fantastic point. In fact, I'd say it's the best point uh, made on this show in about the last 10 shows, I'm going to say, is, is, is exactly what you said here. Is when, when you have Ricard in the backfield, you have so many more options about how you can run your offense, running out of 21 or... And, and I'm not saying never run him in line. That's okay. If you want to put him at the end of the line of scrimmage and have a jumbo package once in a while, that's fine. But that, that, that offensive... Co- sorry, that defensive coordinator needs to fear that Ricard, he doesn't know where Ricard's going to be, that he might be in the backfield, he might be in motion into the middle of the line, and he might be at the end of the line if, you, if you know, you're running QB power or something, and that's where you want him. Um, but but he's, he's, a, he's a movable chess piece that is not going to be an, a, a just an end-of-the-line tight end and just taking off the spot for Boyle because you want an extra blocker at the line of scrimmage. And it, that really allows the Ravens to go from six to seven meaningfully good blockers on the field on on some of these run plays and it's a big difference it's, it's a huge difference and and if in some ways the, the health of ricard and boyle is so central to this team in terms of returning to a, a semblance of the 19 slash 20 offense um that, that it's that's maybe a little bit scary yeah well and it's i mean it, it it's it's kind of unbelievable how much health how much health is tied up in this team to, and in, in two ways. One, to think about how much, how important certain people are going to be to be healthy for this year. But then alternately, like how, like how close the Ravens were to making the playoffs last year. And if Lamar had played the entire 17 game season, they would have made the playoffs. There's not a doubt mm-hmm. in my mind about that. Right. So like that was almost a playoff team. And we're talking about all these guys being keys to health coming up this year. So it tells me that some of these guys that we, we worry now, because we saw what happened last year, but I think that there's a lot of opportunity. Like there's so much opportunity for this team to be better that we could see. Hopefully Stanley's the one guy I wouldn't want to see not make it, but like Boyle not come all the way back or Ricard miss some serious time or even have like Andrews or Bateman, like miss a chunk of time in that process. Right. And still see a really, really good offense. Right. I, I agree. I think uh, even like a player like Gus Edwards, who I think is terrific and really helped the run game. And he's a, he's a, He's a plus-plus in the style he has. He brings the Ravens. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of zeros and, and, plus, and one-plus guys on the plus-three to, to, to minus-three scale that the Ravens can bring in from other teams' practice squads. So I think it's easier to replace you know, at certain positions. Certainly we've seen the Ravens do it at inside linebacker. 
you know, bringing Bynes and Fort off the off the waiver wire and, and getting good results out of them. Uh, you know, I, I think while I'm I'm concerned about the running situation, my my concern is more that they'll approach it the way they did last year. And actually, knowing how good the Ravens are as an organization, I don't. I I, I can. I think I can put that to bed. I think if 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 they're gonna if they're gonna approach it the same way they did last year, they probably know it's a it's a losing deal. Um, in a way, I kind of think Mike Davis is a part of that. He has never done anything as a runner. I mean, in Atlanta, um, you know, he, he doesn't meet the standard of what you what you'd want. I'm kind of wondering why he's here, other than just a pure depth camp body, and kind of concerned about what it might mean to start the season. Yeah, you know, I think it is just a depth camp body and not wanting to lean too much on Beatty. They, I think the Ravens knew that they were going to put Edwards and Dobbins on the physically unable to perform list. And I think they knew they were going to, I think they know they're going to plant them there for at least two weeks. And as, and as much as J.K. Dobbins already seems to be lobbying the team and the doctors and anybody humanly possible to get on the field, I think they're just <laughs> going to leave him there and they're just going to let him get, like, let him, like, kind of get pent up in that. And so I think that's why Mike Davis is here because they, you know, and, and who's the, who's the other guy? Uh, Corey Clement, you know, Corey Clement. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's just, it's bodies and not wanting to feel like they're in a situation where in game three of the preseason, they've got to run Dobbins out there. You know, they've activated him and they're, they're like, Oh, we don't have a guy to go out there. I think they don't want to be caught in that situation. You know, this is the funny thing. I can, I can actually see two things happening here. One is Dobbins running an online Twitter poll asking Ravens fans <laughs> if he should be playing or not, but I can see that. I, I can't really, but it's a funny <laughs> image. But in the, in the third game, I could see JK Dobbins lobbying to get to get some snaps in that game even though last year he's saying why is anybody playing in the preseason you know so uh he doesn't really want to play in the preseason guys i'm not getting that but he definitely wants to be the first play of 2022 he wants to get the football on a run play i i I wouldn't be surprised and i wouldn't be surprised to see the ravens make that happen (laughs) all right uh two things i think you know, could make the situation worse for Lamar this year. The first is the reduced speed to take the top off defenses. Now we can we can talk about whether or not um, that's really as key with Brown. I did have one other, and that's the the, the single less connection. I'm concerned about. I, I, I think those times those can sometimes take time to develop. Uh, Lamar Jackson, there's a very high percentage of balls to, to Mark Andrews, whether it's at camp or or during the season. And I just I, I'd like to see him have more players that he had that kind of understanding with about where they go late in a play. Yeah. I, you know, I think there are two parts of that. One is that Marquise Brown and Marquise and injured or a guy coming off of surgery, right? Uh, Marquise Brown and Lamar connected almost immediately on the field. I think that I think some of this like chemistry stuff is like a little overblown in the sense that like once these guys get out on the field, it's either you're going to get it done and I'm going to throw it to you or you're not. And so the chemistry doesn't develop because the players just aren't good enough for the chemistry to develop. I think that's a little bit a part of it. I think that Bateman and Lamar have not had the time to do it together. And once given the chance to do so, it's going to just take off and blossom just as quickly as it did with Brown. Um, So, you know, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it with Andrews is that you can only have one guy that is essentially kind of like mirrored to where Lamar is, right? Like you can have like, you know, and you think about levels in terms of how you run an offense, right? Like, like Lamar is often throwing to Andrews because he's at that intermediate level. He's deep enough and far enough down the field from being kind of far away, but he's not so deep as to be kind of taking like being taking a bigger risk in terms of what that completion is. You can't have other guys around Mark Andrews in that area because if you do, then it takes away that effectiveness. So some of it is just by virtue of the fact that it's got to be somebody and might as well be 
your best receiver um, mm -hmm. in that instance anyway. I think I would like to see more of a connection elsewhere as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, the Packers weren't complaining, complaining when Rodgers was throwing the ball to Devontae Adams, right? Like when you have an elite player and you have a guy that's got a connection with that elite player, sometimes you, get, you just got to lean into it. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm good with that. I, I, I do want to see the turnovers reduced. I think having an additional connection is a big part of that, that, that you know, the, the, the contested throws, there was probably some teams that were figuring out how to defend that. And I hate the, the term figuring out Lamar, but it, in particular Cleveland, it looked like they had figured out how to get underneath some of the routes that Andrews was running and, and make some picks. So they were trying to eliminate routes and Lamar was... Uh, you know, throwing, trying to throw right through it. And, um, uh, you know, that, that's just, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's something he's got to get better at. I'm going to give you three things here. Uh, let me make sure I have three. <laughs> yeah, I have, th I have three. Which is the most important for Jackson? Uh, watching the end of a very exciting Oriole game, but I've got to mute this while this is on here. Um, What's the score? Sorry, guys. One to nothing. Anyway, seventh inning, they're, they're leading. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the first thing I would, I would point to is um, uh, reduced turnovers. And before you answer which is most important, because we know reduced turnovers are important. The second is increase their OSR back to the high 70s. That's the offensive success rate, the chance of converting any set of downs. Now, obviously, a lot of that has turnovers as subservient to that. But what I'm really talking about with increase their OSR in terms of this point is getting themselves in more advantageous down and distance situations that they can solve with the run. So that's not, that's number two. Number three is make more big plays as a passer. If you only could get one of those three things from Lamar this year, which would you take? I would take the second one. I would take the okay. more advantageous down and distance situations. I think you're maximizing more parts of your team it unlocks the ability uh when you're when you're working in third and second and shorts right like it unlocks the ability for non-key guys to be able to make a difference and not have to do it as far down the field or as quick out time you're not relying as much on your offensive line like it just takes away the urgency or the need for your stars to be stars in those situations if you're turning the ball like even if it does mean you're turning over the ball a little bit more i would assume that you're going to balance a lot of that out in terms of time of possession um, you know, with the ladder and, you know, obviously some of these things will interlock themselves, right? Like if you are in more shorter down and distances, you're going to be throwing less, you're going to be seeing less turnovers, but that's not really eliminating that aside. I think that get it, putting guys in situations to be able to be better than what their talent is, is better served, not by the turnover rate, but by that efficiency. Okay. I completely agree. I would, I would in fact say more big plays as a passer is absolutely last on my list because they had a lot of big plays as a passer last year, some of them forced. Uh, and the turnovers uh, obviously very intertwined with the offensive success rate because you, you can't succeed in any drive where you give the ball away. But on the other hand, you have more drive, more series, more series of downs that are impacted not by turnovers than are. So it's very important to get uh, you know, good down and distance situations out of that. And that 19 team lived by it. Uh, I had on my list to improve fourth down as well, but that's, that's just part of it really is, is they were able to get to fourth down in situations where they could still go for it. And so they were, uh, they were very comfortable in that way. All right, that's the end of the discussion. I love, I love talking just a lot of different theory with you, Jordan. You're a great guy to, to have these discussions with. Uh, is there anything we really have not hit on in the discussion of Lamar Jackson so far before we move on to Tyler Huntley? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think the one thing that I would like to see more of are, and hopefully the scheme allows for this. So I don't think this is a, I can't believe Lamar didn't do that, but I hope the scheme opens up more opportunities for Lamar to bring back some big running plays. Like, and so like, and I don't, I agree with you. I think that of the last three things we talked about, more big passing, passing plays are low on the list and more big running plays would be low on my list as well. But Lamar never got that opportunity. And this tells, this tells you what injuries did to the scheme of what the Ravens were doing. He didn't have those opportunities to break some of the big plays in the same way he did before. I think if you see those big runs come back, right? You see a big 40 yard run early from the Ravens, you know, in, in week one against the Jets or, you know, week two or three, then you'll know that the scheme is doing what I, to me, that tells me the scheme is doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is create these big chunk opportunities. Lamar makes the right read and capitalizes on the one that's in front of him. And even if that means that it's him running the ball, he's done that. So I like, I view it more as kind of like the canary in the coal mine or like the indicator of like, like everything is kind of operating the way that it's supposed to. Or if those things, if those runs never come back, then I think that there's something broken in Roman system and that they, they do need to go away from it and change it. All right. Outstanding. Uh, I, I, I would agree on the big runs. I, I, I think what I, what I'm here, Hearing is, I think it's a natural byproduct of the Ravens running their offense properly is that they're going to get a lot of big runs. If you're going to say, I can live without some of the 40s and make them into 20s, okay, I, I, I'm fine with that because, you know, a 20 yard run and a 40 yard run are uh, uh, a 20 yard run is giving you more, uh, sorry, as much almost in terms of efficiency. Uh, an eight yard run is giving you slightly less, uh, and a two yard run is giving you a, ten, a, a ton less, obviously. Uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, I think I still want to see a lot of big runs. I think it's it's important to me that the offense is working properly, that the pieces they have are working properly, blocking downfield to see a lot of the twenties get turned into forties, or or you know have have a lot of twenty plus runs. Maybe if I say it that way, maybe that's what I, I maybe I wasn't being super clear about what I was saying. I, that's what I'm saying. I, I I need to see the forty plus yard runs from Lamar specifically back in this offense like to me okay. that's the indicator where it's gotten back to where it was that we really didn't see that last year as a byproduct of what was happening and i think some of the runs from the running backs didn't happen because the talent wasn't there but we know that's not mm-hmm. the case with lamar which told me that that was an issue with the scheme and then how defenses were approaching the scheme if they can't bring that back if they have health this year then i think something's broken yeah it was it was a problem honestly in my opinion of their inability to threaten the outside with speed if you're asking agree. lamar to 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 yeah to, to be the guy in the middle so yeah okay bringing it back for lamar then i would agree if you you you, you probably have a necessary uh and, and most of the time sufficient condition if you if you if you say his uh uh, his long runs are back. Let's talk a little bit of Tyler Huntley here because you know, a forgotten guy in some ways uh, did not play particularly well last year down the stretch. Got him through the one game in Chicago. Uh, impressive uh, comeback drive after the uh, Chicago receiver lost them the ball game by not going down. Instead of, it's just incredible that this that you know this kind of thing can happen. But uh, uh, it, you know what's funny about that? The Chicago coach on the sideline, I think it might have been the week before Thanksgiving, and then I was watching Chicago play Detroit, I think, in the Thanksgiving game, because I don't know why otherwise I'd be watching a Chicago-Detroit game. <laughs> but but, but I, was, I was watching that game, and, uh, and Chicago won the next week on a, uh, you know, a, a, a similar coaching decision where they did it right the week after they did it wrong. So anyway, one learn of those... Uh, learn it from your mistakes. <laughs> there you go. Maybe even deserves to stay. 
anyway, uh, it, Tyler Huntley. Uh, my biggest problem with him last year was was the lack of pocket awareness and the and the uh, uh, trying to do the things that Lamar can do when he's not Lamar. You know, reversing his way in the pocket. Uh, Lamar is just very effective about feeling pressure from 360 degrees and not taking awkward hits there. That wasn't Huntley last year. Yeah, it, it was a little. I, I mean, and, and this is the part that tells you how good Lamar is. It was unfair to to be looking at Tyler Huntley and expecting with the team and the offensive offense that was around him that it was going to be any good at all in the first place. And not that not that Tyler Huntley doesn't have some talent in him, but it's not developed. He's not had a chance to work with that. The offense wasn't specifically built for him. And once you once you did the things that were schemed for him. And the other team has adjusting to those. There was no second move for the, the Ravens to make. So, you know, what, what I think is interesting about Huntley coming into this year is that there's a real opportunity that if he were to have to have time, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But if he were to have to come in and spend more time and this team was healthier, I think you would see a much better version of Tyler Huntley. I think some of the things that he was doing was just because he was being chased around because the offensive line was not very good and the running game wasn't there. And, and he was just, you just ask a lot of a guy to do. And so if you take a lot of that away and you still have effectiveness, I think Tyler Huntley can, is a very, very good backup and is a very good backup for this system in particular because he, he is a little Lamar late if you're not asking him to do too much. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's that's something that uh, I think made the choice easy. You know, they had McSorley and, and he was a Lamar even lighter. <laughs> and, uh, uh, with uh, with uh, Huntley, you uh, you certainly get a lot of stylistic similarities, like with McSorley. Uh, but you but uh, you know you have hopefully a little bit better quarterback in in thir- his third year now. Uh, there was not really even a peep this entire off season about drafting a quarterback, about resetting in terms of time. And you know, there's a lot of mobile quarterbacks now in college that would fit the Ravens scheme wise, that would not force them to completely change what they do. Uh, but probably Tyler Huntley, uh, you know, is a better bet than any of them for this season. Uh, would, would you think that next year is a year where they think about resetting again, given the reduced option value you have? Or do you think they go through year four with Huntley and, and they see where they are? I think they'll go. You know, I think it depends on if the guy is there. Like, like it was one of those instances where this past year, if Malik Willis was still on the board in the fourth round, I thought that that would have been worth the Ravens taking a look at just because mm-hmm. of the talent and the value and the round and all that. And like, you know, him getting that far down the road would have been interesting. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's the same idea that if the opportunity is there and it makes a lot of sense and there's like super upside in terms of talent, they draft somebody. And if not, then maybe it's a UDFA because it fits in or maybe they just let it go. I think I think it allows them to kind of have dealer's choice of kind of what situationally they want to do in that process. And that that's the situation you want to be in anyway. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense is that uh, they, they, they want to do that. Of course, I, I love resetting at most positions. Quarterback is kind of a special case and, and you don't want to have to reset if you don't want to at your at your backup spot. Uh, the Ravens have done some very intriguing stuff in the past to try and have guys available and ready to go. The deal they had with Mark Bolger for probably one year, you know, the the, the we've got you on speed dial, you know, we'll call you in, but you're not, you don't have a contract with us. That, that was kind of an interesting one. I thought that, um, you, you know, they, they, they had Tyrod Taylor for four years, Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor, let's say his name right. 
um, and uh, uh, did not make use of him. And then he went off and, and became a good quarterback elsewhere. I, I don't see that happening with Huntley, but you can't ever say never in, in terms of that. And maybe there's a situation where he could, he'd be in a better offensive line position than he was with the Ravens last year that would be a lot better for him. And I wouldn't be opposed to like kind of a little bit of a like Jimmy Garoppolo kind of situation where they bring in, you know, a highly like a, a guy that's fallen down the draft boards, but is highly touted. And, you know, they can they can make hay out of his draft pick down the road. Um, that could be an interesting thing. You know, and that seems like the kind of thing Eric DeCosta would be interested in doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, I, I, with either either if you have either player that's like of extreme talent, like a like a Garoppolo or a. Uh, Garoppolo somehow was kept didn't didn't create a problem with Belichick in terms of of being loud and being a guy that was that was distraction in the locker room of course when Tom Brady is the number one quarterback you know who are you going to talk to about that <laughs> I think maybe the case is with Lamar Lamar Jackson as well but if they if they drafted Willis this year um you know that would have been an interesting one in terms of whether or not that could have caused a problem or you know, in the in the era of demanded trades, if that could have become a distraction to the team, where you know the the uh, the player demanding a, a trade actually reduces his value to his current organization, it's a good job for the Ravens, by the way, not allowing that to happen with Marquise Brown. Yeah, I think they the the Ravens are known as a team that also does well by their players. It seems as though right, and when they they demand trades or when they want certain things, the Ravens aren't kind of no, this is our team, you have to do it our way kind of people, even if it's to the detriment of the team and the product on the field. I think you saw that a little bit with Orlando Brown, which is like, mm-hmm. look, this is what I want. We're not going to do that. We'll give you what you want. And and that wasn't great for the Ravens in the short term. You know, they would have been much better served for Brown to have been on the team last year. Um, it could have made a huge difference for this team, quite frankly. Um, but you got to, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to make those decisions and you have to do right by players and be known as the team that does that. And I think the Ravens are known, known that way. And it, it allows you when you have a guy like Brown, to keep it under, uh, keep it under wraps that you're being traded, um, to the advantage of the team that has done you that favor. Like that just says everything about who the Ravens are as a team, a front office, and what they do for their players. To me, yeah, great, great point. And and I think the, the Ravens have some tools in their in their chest. And the the, the pod from a couple of days ago was about the David Ajabo contract, and you know what's going on with that. And uh, the, the Ravens have some have some things they can use in terms of the NFI designation to not pay a Jabo and, and to maybe twist his arm a little bit on the contract. But I don't think they will. I think that they'll they'll come to an amicable uh, ground on this. They'll be able to deal with divisible benefit. And I, I'm even hoping there's some way that they can get a fifth year. It, it probably won't happen just because that's not what agents want. But uh, that, that it, it could somehow be structured to get a fifth year is an, is an interesting proposition to me anyway to to, to ponder. Uh, but I agree with you. It really makes all the difference in the world to be an organization that treats its players well. Well, let's call it there. I, I, this is a, a, a just a great discussion. We've been an hour and a half here, and I want to let people not be intimidated by the length of the episode, if possible. Of course, we, we probably blew that already. But uh, Jordan, always fantastic talking football with you. Uh, tell folks where they can uh, find your work. Yeah, I'm at Ravensit Room on Twitter. Um, you guys can check us out. Um, Film Study Baltimore's got our podcast, The Situation Room. Uh, me and Gabe Ferguson at Gabe Perky um, put that together weekly, trying to break down the Ravens' games, situations, and uh, what we're seeing on the field. 
Gabe and Jordan, two of the absolute best guests. They'll be regulars this year on the on the uh, offensive and defensive reviews, meaning uh, each of you guys will be on about four times, I think, which I'm really looking forward to. Anytime, uh, you know, we've got one of the one of the top people on, it's always makes the makes the uh, uh, episode go that much easier and and be that much more fun. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a uh, DM on Twitter. They're always open. 25-minute topic that we can talk about in some depth is ideal. Uh, I'll get right back to you, I promise, and I'll get you on air very quickly. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on, as always, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.